we start week two of someone else's shoes. And if you're new with us and maybe you missed last week, you know, what's the sermon series all about? The sermon series is really built around uh, the premise that oftentimes the things that get the most press or airtime when it comes to sermons and in churches, usually the, the primary characters we find in scripture. Uh, so we, we talk about Abraham, uh, we talk about Moses, we talk about Joshua, we talk about David, but oftentimes we don't talk about all these secondary characters um, that are part of God's story that play a huge role in moving God's mission forward. And so we're just taking the summer to kind of look at some of these secondary characters. What we're going to find is we have a lot to learn from them. And also, I think we can relate to them um, if we're willing to get in their shoes a little bit. So, uh, this is what I know about today, is we just, last week talked about Rahab, a uh, secondary character found in the book of Joshua. We're now moving into the time of the judges. And as we go through the summer, we're going to be uh, kind of going through chronological order of these characters in the Old Testament. We're moving into the, the book of Judges. And just to be honest with you, uh, the book of Judges is like, a pretty depressing book. Uh, and so if you're here this morning and you're in that state, I would encourage you not to read the book of Judges this week because it may not help you get out of that state of mind. Uh, but uh, a lot of tragedy in the book of Judges. And um, this is what I know about me personally when it comes to tragedy. Um, when things that are around me that are really hard and difficult, in my good days, I have an understanding and this is my understanding, is that even though there's a lot of difficult things that are happening, God has put me into a time and a place to navigate those difficult things and to play a part in potentially um, bringing goodness and that I only have a part to play in that and that God is doing his part and that God is sovereign, that he is in control and that he's going to bring about good in the midst of difficulty and I'm at peace with all that. That's in my good days. In my bad days... That's not how I see things. In my bad days, I see all the tragedy. I see all the brokenness. I see all the things that are taking place, and I get overwhelmed. Anybody else get overwhelmed? I get overwhelmed, and oftentimes when I get overwhelmed, I lock up, or um, I get angry, I get frustrated, and um, what ends up happening is I actually move my eyes away from God, and I actually move my eyes to all the problems and all the hard things. And all the difficult things. And I fixate on all of that instead of keeping my eyes on the one that can actually solve the problems. I think that's common for all of us as people is that we have a tendency to focus on the things that are broken. And oftentimes what happens is that's just part of us as humans working through what we see around us. Um, but it's actually not the greatest place, posture to live from and how to lead through tragedy how to walk through tragedy, how to actually do well in the midst of the brokenness that we find ourselves in and around us. And so what does it actually look like to lead through difficult situations? What does it actually look like to lead through tragedy and during difficult times? And what we're going to find out today is the character that we're looking at actually does a really good job of that. But in order to understand this character, we kind of have to understand how we've gotten to where we're at in Judges chapter 4. And how we get to where we're at is we look at Joshua. At the end of Joshua's life, Joshua makes it pretty cut and dry to the people of Israel as to how they're called to lead and what they're supposed to do. And Joshua says this in Joshua chapter 24. He says, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn, 
He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Okay? So, pretty clear, right? We're going to stay committed. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to only worship God and none of those foreign gods, those Canaanite gods. We're not going to intermarry or be involved with them. Do they do that? No. Ensues the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a book of violence and tragedy that covers about 400 years of history. And when you read the book of Judges, like it's, it's not... It's not fun. It's not a fun read. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, this last couple days. I got to go camping with my family up in the mountains. And I'm the type of person that when I go camping, I don't um, sit for very long. For those of you guys that just stay at camp, I don't do that. I do that for about like two hours. And then I'm like, let's go and adventure a little bit. And the first thing that we go and do is we look for huckleberries. Anybody like to look for huckleberries, okay? Uh, well, we went and did that. We're way too early for the huckleberries. They were not ripe, not ready to go. So there's a second thing that you go look for in the woods during the summer and in the spring. Anybody know what the second thing is? Mushrooms, yes, exactly, all right? And, and so I gather the kids to another spot. We drive over. My wife stays in the truck because she detests hiking. If you don't like hiking, talk to my wife. She does not like hiking. I like to hike, and so I gather all the kids. Now they have some quiet time in the truck. We go hiking, and we go to this spot where I think there might be some mushrooms, and we walk a mile and a half in. I've got my 6-year-old, my 10-year-old, and my 11-and-a-half-year-old, and let's just say it's a journey, right? mile and a half. And we get to the spot. I go, guys, this is the spot. I think there might be some mushrooms here. And my little six-year-old, Theo, he goes, oh, we made it, and we didn't die. <laughs> That's kind of how you feel when you read the book of Judges. You kind of get to the end of it, and you're kind of like, we didn't die. Like, because it's just full of, of just heartache and heartbrokenness and tragedy. And right from the very beginning in Judges, Judges chapter 2 kind of tells us the process of what's going to happen through the rest of the book. Uh, the Israelites do evil in the sight of the Lord, usually worshiping Canaanite gods. God hands them over to be conquered and oppressed by their enemies. The Israelites cry out for help. God raises up a judge to deliver them. There's peace for a time until the Israelites once again do evil, and the story starts all over again. And this is a, a, just a graphic just kind of help you see the process. Like you, you read that over and over and over again, in the book of Judges. In addition to that, as this cycle continues, the judges actually get worse. And so in the beginning, you've kind of got like a group of judges that are good judges. They do a good job of leading in the midst of the tragedy they find themselves in. But then as the story continues, you get a second group of judges that are okay. Like they have some redeemable qualities about them. But then there's some other things that aren't great. And then you get to the end, and I said this last week, you get to the end of judges that are just knuckleheads. They're just not good judges, and Samson's one of those. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to look at those, a character from each one of those sections. First week, this week, is Deborah. The second week, we're going to take a look at Gideon. 
And then the third week, through the journey of judges, we're going to take a look at Samson. What is a judge? A judge is a civic, judicial, and moral leader of the people. It should be a moral leader of the people. And some of them do well, and some of them don't. Who's Deborah? Deborah is an impressive judge. Uh, she's got um, the title judge. She's a, she's a warrior, a poet, prophet, a singer, a songwriter. She's one of only five women described as a prophet in the Old Testament. The only, the only other person in the Bible who is said to be both prophet and judge was Samuel. She's the only female judge that's mentioned in the Bible. How does she lead in the midst of the tragedy she finds herself in? In the midst of the brokenness that she finds herself in? Well, what's going on? Well, God said it pretty plainly. If you're going to take the land, take the land and drive out all other foreign gods before you. I love that. Um, drive out all the other gods before you. And the people of Israel don't do that. And so Deborah steps in in Judges chapter 4, and you're going to hear and notice there's some reoccurring language here. Judges chapter 4, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now the Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth, Hagium, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for, what's that word? Help. You notice the, the cycle. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands." I want you just to think about this for a second. Israel is not leading, not living the way that Joshua commanded them to lead and that God had commanded them to lead. And we see this pattern of they obey, it goes well, things don't go well, they cry out for help, God rescues them, raises up a judge. So this cycle has, has already begun. And the nation of Israel is not living to what God's called on them to live. And so Deborah steps in and begins to lead. God uses her as a military leader. Now, how often do you hear about that in society? Not often, right? You can imagine like, probably the conversations that people were having outside. Well, who is this person? Who is this woman that is leading, that is a military leader, that is a judge? You can imagine maybe the cynicism of some of the people. You can imagine like the pressure for her to do well. In a society that often doesn't honor women, doesn't respect women, often marginalizes them. And Deborah is stepping forth in the midst of a time it's full of tragedy. Sounds like an easy job, doesn't it? 
Not an easy job. Not an easy situation. Not an easy role. And what I've reminded of over and over and over again, as I read through Deborah and as I've been spending time just looking at her and the things that she had to navigate, here's what I'm reminded of over and over again, is that God uses people who lead courageously and don't shrink back. God uses people who lead courageously and don't shrink back. If you were to just spend time thinking about all the reasons why Deborah wouldn't have wanted to lead, why she would have had an excuse to shrink back, the list would have been pretty long. Would you agree with that? Pretty long in regards to, you know what? Can someone else do this? You know what? Can someone else step in? Can someone else lead Israel to a better place of of prominence and faith and trusting God? But Deborah doesn't do that. Deborah steps in and leads, and leads well. And when I think about that, it's convicting and challenging for me. That in the midst of a difficult situation, Deborah actually steps in and leads crazy. She doesn't shrink back. And it's convicting and challenging because if there has ever been a time in my life where I wanted to shrink back, it's probably been in the last two or three years, honestly. And here's the reason why. is because there's a lot of tragedy going on in our world. There's a lot of hard Situations that are happening in our world. There's a hard circumstances that are needing, needing to be navigated. And it seems like people nowadays ask you questions not because they want to know where you stand and how to navigate relationship and unity and direction, but instead just want to argue with you, debate with you, slap a label on you. Anybody else relate to this at all? What do you think about the politics in this nation? What do you think about Black Lives Matter? What do you think about COVID? What do you think about masks? What do you think about no masks? What do you think about long COVID? What are your thoughts on the leaked Supreme Court document that's now no longer leaked, that's now out in the open? What are your thoughts on this? This week, I thought someone genuinely wanted to have a conversation with me that hasn't even, like, talked to me in 20 years. And the next thing you know, I'm roped into a group chat where I am actually being debated with and trying to convince how I'm wrong and they're right. And to be honest with you guys, this is how I felt. Problems, tragedy, brokenness everywhere. And I begin to just want to shrink back. I begin to go, man, like, am I the only one? And to be honest with you, when I go camping with my family, I love camping with my family because here's the thing. When you go camping, you really only have one objective, and that's to stay alive. And life gets really simple. 
with my house on wheels. I just have to survive, right? <laughs> That's what I call it. Is anybody really tent camp still? You are my people, okay? <laughs> you are my people. <laughs> I've been lamenting with the Lord. My kids are going to grow up soft because they don't know what real camping's like. <laughs> anyway, all that to say, like, the temptation is to just be like, Man, it's so easy just to disappear. It'd be so much easier to just go up on a mountain. And I'm being a little bit frank and a little bit, excuse my language, but just say to hell with all of it. And I wonder if maybe Deborah felt the same way at times as she watched the stuff going on around this nation, this God's people. But she didn't do that. And I, I'm not called to do that. We're not called to do that. We're not called to be a people that shrink back. And the reality of it is, is, is we are called to be a people that step into the, the brokenness, the tragedy, the things that are happening we have to live in this world that we have to live in the tension of the things that we find ourselves in. I think Andy Stanley said it, that we have to live in the tension, learn how to solve problems, but, but live in the tension of the world that we live in. Sometimes we want to solve tensions, and we're not called to solve tensions. Sometimes we're called to just let problems be tensions. No, there's problems that need to be solved. But I want to be like Deborah, who doesn't shrink back, but steps in. Look at how the story continues on as she gives orders as to what the Israeli, Israeli army is supposed to do, the Israelite nation. She says, we're supposed to go on the attack. Barak, who is the, the military commander, said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Notice that uh, Barak, he has hesitancy about entering into battle. We don't know what that hesitancy is. We don't know if it was a matter of him not believing that God's army could actually win. We don't know if it was he was questioning Deborah and her leadership. We don't know why he's hesitant, but we do know this. Based upon Deborah and her faith, that God uses people who trust in God's promises more than human strength. You see, Deborah had the mindset of understanding like God's given us a job and we need to step into that. And if God's called us to take this land and to drive out the Canaanites, then we need to do that. And Deborah's faith is a faith that's built upon God promised that if we do what he said that we should do, that he would honor us, that he would take care of us. And if we don't, that he wouldn't. And over and over again, we see this from God's people, that God's people are people that trust in God's promises more than human strength, more than their own will or their mind or even belief, that God says that he will do what he says he will do with that, Deborah shows us again, what does it look like to lead in the midst of brokenness? What does it mean to lead in the midst of tragedy? 
Well, here's the part of Judges that you go, man, is this really in the Bible? Um, yes, this is really in the Bible. If you don't know how this battle goes, they go in and, and into battle and the army flees and the king flees. Um, uh, Sisera, it says, but Jael, verse 21, chapter 4, Heber's wife picked up a tent peg. Well, who is this? Sisera, in the midst of him fleeing, finds a tent of refuge. I would even borderline say he's essentially seduced to come into this tent to hide out. And as he's hiding out, this is what takes place. She picked up a tent peg, a hammer, and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man that you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. You're reading that, and if you're new to the Bible, you're going, dang, that's intense. And you're like, yeah, that was not in your children's Bible growing up, was it? My son, who's 11, has been reading through the Judges the last uh, month, two months, and he's into First and Second Samuel now, and and he, he read Judges, and he's like, Dad, there's stories in here that are not in my first Bible. I go, you are correct, son. <laughs> there, there are stories in here that if they were to make the Bible into a movie, like, it would be beyond R, right? And this is the book of Judges. What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to take a look at what is God trying to show us? Not only about the characters, but he's also trying to show us what he's up to in the midst of tragedy. What he's up to in the midst of, of pain. But I want to remind you that Deborah is a story, one of only three judges in this era that has no negative qualities spoken about from her. About her. Deborah is a leader who does not shrink back, leads courageously. And the same should be true for us as Christians. That you don't get to shrink back from God's calling in your life. And that the only way that you can do this is by relying on his strength and his promises. And this is the story of Deborah, and it's the story for all of us. That in the midst of the things that we have to step into, the difficult things that we have to step into, we can't do it apart from Jesus. The moment that I begin to look at all the things that are broken and I try and conquer those things or solve all those things and I do it apart from Jesus, it's never going to go well. It's never going to go well. And I'm thankful for the times of rest that I get up on the mountain where I get to rejuvenate and recharge and think and contemplate and pray. But God does not call me to stay on the mountain. He calls me to go to the city because the city needs the gospel. The people need the gospel. People need to hear the good news of Jesus. And so we get to be a people who make a difference by leaning into the things that are difficult, not shrinking back, and instead stand confidently and boldly into the promises that God calls us into. I look forward to the day that I get to talk with the Lord and Deborah because there had to have been moments where she struggled and wonder, like, should I do this? Should I step into this? What should I do? We don't hear any of that, but there had to have been someone that said, keep walking into the things that God is calling you to walk into. There had to have been somebody. 
because I have those people in my life. The people that God invites into my life that encourages me when I'm struggling, when I'm down. Do any of you guys have those types of people? That encourages you to step into whatever's next. And it reminds me of the Hebrews passage. Maybe you've come this morning and you're like, I'm good. I know there's tons of bad stuff going on. There's tragedy, but I'm good. Me and the Lord are good. I'm stepping into it. That's great. Who are the people around you that need your faith and need your encouragement? Hebrews says this way. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I just want to say this really quick. We're in the summer mode. Fourth of July. Everybody excited for Fourth of July tomorrow? You ready to stay up till one in the morning with the fireworks? Yeah. <laughs> Here's what's great about summer. All the activities that can give us rest, rejuvenation, that are meant to give us an opportunity to rest with the Father, rest with Jesus, oftentimes become distractions from the mission of God. Are you with me this morning? They become distractions. Because we don't rest with Jesus when we're doing these things. We're just disconnecting from Jesus. And what ends up happening oftentimes is our hearts begin to wander during summer. Our hearts begin to turn away from the things of the Lord. And all of a sudden, four months go by and, and fall rolls in and man, we're not doing very well. Why? Because we completely disconnected from Jesus all summer long. And there's an unbelieving, sinful heart that begins to build up. And really, verse 13, but encourage one another on Sundays. Is that what that says? But encourage one another. What's it say? What's it say? What's it say? Daily. There had to have been someone in Deborah's life that walked beside her in the midst of the things that she went through. And the same is true for us is we need people to walk beside us, to call us to the things that we're called to, to not shrink back, to encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're walking in the things that God's calling you to walk in in the midst of brokenness, tragedy, hard stuff, awesome. Who are the people around you that need your encouragement? Who are the people that need your text message, your phone call daily? And if the only relationship you have is what goes on in that lobby on Sunday mornings, you are missing Jesus' church. You are missing Jesus' church. So as we wrap up today and get ready for communion, I just want you to think about a couple things. First one is this. What have you been shrinking back from that Jesus is calling you to step into? What have you been shrinking back from that God is calling you to step into? That Jesus is saying, come and trust me. Come and step into this. It's going to probably be messy, hard, broken. But Jesus is saying, step into it. Step into it. What promises do you need to be reminded of today? The promises of God. One of the things I'd encourage you to think about if you've never started a journal is would you be willing to start a journal? And would you be willing to actually write down why you've shrunk back, why you've not engaged in the things that God's calling you to engage in? 
What are all the obstacles as to the reason why? And I would guess if you were to write down all those obstacles and, and process those with the Lord, there's probably a promise attached to all those obstacles that you're writing down. That you got to start trusting. You got to start walking into and lead courageously. And lastly, who do you need to encourage today? And maybe that person that you know of that's struggling, maybe maybe that person you just need to pray for during communion. And as soon as you get done with service, you reach out to them. Say, hey, how are you? How can I be praying for you? Are you doing okay? This is what I know. The difficult season that we see ourselves in, when we choose to not shrink back and to enter in, And we choose to love and lead well in the midst of hard situations. When we do that, Jesus calls that a city on a hill. Jesus calls that salt. He calls that light. And for us as God's people, that's what he's asking us to be, salt and light. in the midst of difficulty. And we need Jesus and we need each other. We can't do it apart from him and apart from one another. We need each other and we need Jesus. So as we get ready for communion this morning, I want to invite you to think about those things. And if you came this morning and you weren't planning on taking communion or you forgot to get communion when you came in, you want to raise your hand. These amazing Women will be sure to get you communion this morning. Keep your hand up. And they'll be sure to take care of you this morning.